I feel like I want to put on a button-up sweater every time I hear that song. Just kind of kind of Pavlovian response. Hey, uh, before we jump into what we're talking about today, I just want to note a couple things. Uh, one, up here on the worship team, uh, we had Catherine, our, her first time playing with us on the, uh, with the worship band, the adult band. Catherine, thank you so much for uh, serving us today. She's been playing with the youth band, but it was great to have her serve uh, with us. And then Abiola, who was right here singing, uh, this is uh, their family's last Sunday with us, her last Sunday serving. So we just want to say thank you to Abiola for serving us and, and sing, leading us in worship over and over and over again. Be missed for sure. Well, we want to say a word of welcome to those of you, if it's your first time, uh, whether you're in person or online, we're so glad you're joining us for the very first time. Been expecting you to join our happy little family here at Chatham Community Church. We are so, so glad that you are here with us. This is our last week in a series called Won't You Be a Neighbor, hence the song and all that kind of thing. Uh, And if you're just joining us, what we've been saying is this, when Jesus was asked what the most important command was in the whole Bible, he said, well, number one is love God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Number two, just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. My proposal for this whole series is it's never been harder to do commandment number two in any of our lifetimes than right here, right now, between COVID isolating us and then uh, kind of political polarization. We're as disconnected from our neighbors as we've ever been maybe in any of our lifetimes. And uh, the problem is commandment number two doesn't go away. It's not like, well, we have a pass on commandment number two because it's difficult, right? Throughout all generations, throughout the centuries, Christians in the midst of wars and civil wars and plagues and famines have loved God and loved their neighbors in season, out of season, all the time. And so what we're doing here and on Sunday mornings is kind of rolling up our sleeves, getting in the gym and saying, what does it look like for us here in Chatham County, in our communities to love our neighbors as ourselves, even in the midst of all the challenges that we've got going on. Now, today as we wrap up the series, a couple of really concrete steps that you can take uh, in the next couple months to actually love your neighbors. The first one, the thing we've been talking about for the last few weeks, Chatham Serves is coming up. This is a great opportunity for you to jump in and love our community, love our neighbors. We don't want someone to talk about it. We actually want to do it. So a whole slate of opportunities, new projects were just popped up in the last few days. Uh, So we invite you to go to chathamserves.org and sign up and jump in. Uh, We just invite you to do this in obedience to the commandment of Jesus, to love our neighbors. And not everybody can do it. There's not no guilt, no anything like that, but just an invitation. If this is something that you are in town, available for, and are willing to step in and do, we invite everyone to step in and join us in serving on uh, the 18th. Now, the second concrete step we're going to invite everyone to take is, is a little bit different. As we're talking about loving our neighbors, here's one of the problems that we have to face. The problem is there's tensions in the neighborhood, right? There are tensions in the neighborhood. You're, we're called to love our neighbors, but our neighbors don't always like each other. They always get along. What do we do about the tensions in the neighborhood? What do we do about the fact that there's things on our, you know, neighborhood listservs or whatever, where there's conflicts, there's things that aren't sort of going particularly well. And what some of you have done is you've retreated to the woods. That's what you've done. Go, like, who needs neighbors when they squabble all the time, right? But listen, so we're called to love our neighbors, our coworkers, our colleagues. How do we love our neighbors? Well, my go-to solution, here's my go-to solution. See what you think. If all my neighbors just agreed with me, everything would be fine, Right? If everyone disagreed with you, politically, religiously, right? If everyone, if everyone disagreed with me and my positions, everything would be, we could all get along just fine, right? Is that, amen, right? Amen, amen. Now, what are the chances of that happening this summer? Zero. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a counterintuitive thing that you and I might do to reduce the tension in the neighborhood or to get ahead of tensions in the neighborhood in order that we might love our neighbors as ourselves the way that Jesus called us Two. This morning, as we close the series, we're, here's what we're going to invite you to do. We're going to invite you to throw a party. We're going to invite you to throw a party that brings people together in a way that maybe nothing else or no one else could but Jesus. 
What if the solution to the tensions in the neighborhood is not more politics, not more policies, not more arguments over next door or on your neighborhood listserv? What if the solution to reducing the tension in your neighborhood is more Jesus-style parties? Because Jesus does something. He brings people together like no one else does. He brings people together like no one else can. And maybe, just maybe, as we, as we are here in Chatham County 2022 with our own tensions in, in our community, maybe just maybe the solution to reducing some of those tensions, some of the friction, is creating a space and prayerfully bringing people together and seeing what Jesus might do to help get ahead of some things, to deal with some things. We're going to invite everyone, a couple hundred of us here in Chatham County, to leave here this summer with an assignment to throw a party. I'm going to use the word party kind of loosely and advisedly, right? Some of you are like love throwing parties, hosting big events. Some of you are more like a quiet walk in the woods with a friend. All that counts, right? All that counts, right? I'm just talking about a gathering of some sort where you're going to bring together some people who wouldn't necessarily come together otherwise, and you're just going to take a step and say, Jesus, what would you do? How would you move? How might you sort of break down walls in my community? How might you get ahead of tensions in my community just by bringing some people together preferably in Jesus' name, whether your neighbors know it or not? Now, Initially, it might be a little bit tense. Initially, it might be a little bit challenging. But maybe that's one of the, the courses that, the, the steps to sort of reducing the tension in the neighborhood. Now, we're going to see how it can be a little bit tense and a little bit awkward, a little bit difficult initially as we look at today's passage. So today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 9. If not, it'll be on the screens up here in just a minute. Jesus is still calling his sort of core 12 disciples, his small group, as we uh, hit this passage. And today, he's going to call probably the most unlikely member of his core 12 small group in Matthew chapter 9. He calls the guy who actually wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew. Matthew 9, verse 9 says this. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. Well, right after college, I went to work at a college campus ministry, working with college students. And my coworkers all worked on different campuses, right? So we're assigned one to a campus, but we're, uh, we're, in, a, we're in what's called area teams, right? So uh, like it's a ge- geographical space. Uh, like the whole state of Virginia was one area team. We had like 28 people on our staff team. And we were in these area teams. We have an area director who was over us, right? Area director supervised all of us. We get together several times throughout the year for coaching and development and training. And I had great area directors, fantastic bosses, which was so, so helpful because especially my first couple of area teams, we had a bunch of strong-headed people in those area teams. Strong personalities, big personalities. A bunch of us have gone on to be lead pastors, head of missions organizations, missionaries all over the globe. We had a bunch of big personalities. And at at various points along the way, I would look at my area director and say, his job stinks. Because he has to deal with all of us. He had to to kind of lasso all of us, corral all of us strong-headed people and kind of get us moving in the same direction. And every so often in my humbler, humbler moments, I would say to him, I don't know if anyone else could keep this team together. Thank you so much for what you do. Have you ever been on a team, had a coach, a teacher, a manager, a boss, bunch of strong personalities, and you look at the strong personalities and you say, you know what, no one else could probably hold this team together except for that man, that woman, who's keeping us together. And conversely, have you ever been on a team with a bunch of strong personalities and the coach, the teacher, the manager didn't, could not possibly keep it all together and it kind of fell apart? Ever been on a team like that? Jesus is bringing together a team that no one else could hold together. 
as he's calling together his core 12 disciples. He's sort of bringing together a group of people who no one else could keep going together and hold on together. Remember, in the world that Jesus is occupying, it's Roman-occupied territory, right? So Romans ruled everything. There's soldiers everywhere. There's these tax collectors booths there sprinkled around ancient Palestine. How many of you love paying taxes? Anyone love paying taxes? Didn't think so. Nobody loves paying taxes to an occupying force, right? So these, these, like, they have to pay taxes to the Romans, who they hate. But wait, it gets worse. Tax collectors had to charge a minimum assigned by Rome, and they could charge anything over and above that that they could get, and they could just keep it. So everyone who paid, everyone hates paying taxes, and then they had to pay additional taxes to the tax man who they hated. But wait, it still gets worse. One of the deviously brilliant things the Romans did was they would get the native peoples to man the tax collecting booths. So you've got Jews taxing their fellow Jews to make money, right? So nobody liked these people. All of them had sold out who were sitting in these tax collector booths. All of them had sold out to the Romans. They really, really despised these people. And this is the person Jesus calls to join his small group. Someone who's sold out, someone who's abandoned the Jewish people, maybe likely abandoned going to the temple and prayers, all the religious stuff that people did back in the day, the good Jews did. These guys aren't doing any of it. He calls Matthew to come be a follower. Now, Jesus already has a small group of followers. He doesn't have his full 12 yet, but he's got a group of followers already, and nobody is happy with the addition of Matthew, right? None of Jesus' followers, most of the rest of them, are blue-collar, good Jewish boys who don't like tax collectors at all, right? So there's this awkwardness, right? So here's, you've got Jesus' awkward small group.com. Here's Jesus' awkward small group.com. You've got Matthew the tax collector, and you've got this guy, a lesser-known disciple named Matthew the zealot. Now, the zealots were like a political party. And their whole, here, here's their whole thing. Their whole thing is violent overthrow of Rome. That's their whole agenda. Violent overthrow of Rome, right? So in AD 66, shortly after Jesus' resurrection, the zealots sort of launch a massive military resistance against the Roman army. It goes on for three years. At the end of those three years, in one of the bleakest and darkest moments in ancient Israel's history, the Romans come through and they just demolish Jerusalem. The temple, the whole thing. Let me be honest with you. Judaism has never been the same since that conflict. Never been the same since that moment. And the zealots were the ones who picked that fight because they so hated Rome, they were ready to fight for their land back. And Simon the Zealot is not particularly happy about the addition of Matthew the tax collector, the guy who sold out to Rome. But wait, it gets worse. Judas Iscariot was likely a part of a, group, a cohort of people who also didn't like the Romans. Who, they were called the Daggermen, okay? The Daggermen also did not like the Romans and particularly kind of people who conspired with them. And here's what the Daggermen did. They would put daggers up their cloaks, right? They're wearing long cloaks. And what they would do is they would go into a crowded place like a marketplace and they would slip in behind a tax collector and stab them in the back and then disappear into the crowd. Judas's whole MO, his people's whole MO was assassinating people just like Matthew. Merry Christmas, have a good time together. So you got Matthew the tax collector, Simon the zealot, Judas the daggerman, all hanging out together with Jesus for three years. What brings them together? Jesus, because Jesus brings people together and no one else can. What brings them together? Only the power of Jesus. Only the grace of Jesus. Only the strength of Jesus to ride this bull of 12 crazy people. What Jesus is doing here with this crazy small group is what he's best at in the whole world for all of history. Bringing people together who would not be together for any other reason. 
Now, what Jesus is doing there with his small group gets written a little bit larger in the next scene as Jesus then goes to a party. And Matthew throws this big party, and at this party are, again, people who would not, otherwise not be hanging out. Here's how the story continues, verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I was listening to a a podcast a couple weeks ago, and this guy was sort of uh, talking about political polarization in Washington. And one of the things he talked about was about uh, that until about 10 years ago, when you got elected to Washington, D.C., everyone moved to Washington, D.C. Their families moved, everyone moved to Washington, D.C., and they went back and visited occasionally. And now what people do is they stay living at their home base and they just parachute into D.C. for debates, for arguments, for voting, and then they go back and still live at home. And what this person was saying was, when you don't see your political enemy at the restaurant, at church, at a gathering or a party, when there's no social contact, your only contact you're having is over conflict, there's no opportunity to diffuse the conflict or to actually normalize or humanize the people that you're in conflict with. You come in assuming everyone else is a demon or everyone else is against you or everyone else is whatever, and there's no opportunity to sort of diffuse that through actual personal interaction. Now, of course, if you had a sibling, you know proximity does not always breed love. Right? Sometimes, some, some of you needed a little break from your siblings in order to sort of, you know, for love to bloom. But here's what you do. If you come in with preconceived notions that these people are your enemies and there's no opportunity socially to reduce that tension, friction just grows and grows and grows, right? Not, not a bad description, at least one angle of what's happening in D.C. What Jesus is doing is bringing people together socially through Matthew who had these tensions, innate tensions, And what he's going to do is he's going to surface these tensions and sort of address them and deal with them in ways that only Jesus can. So here's Jesus' Matthew party house. Jesus' party at Matthew's house looks like this, right? You've got the sinners, the tax collectors, the people that people don't like and that kind of thing. And then you've got the Pharisees, like the really, really religious people, super religious people who are smug and self-righteous. And then you've got the disciples, right? Now the only person fully comfortable at this party is Jesus. Everyone else is annoyed at someone else at this party. Right? But Jesus is doing what Jesus does best, bringing people together that only he can bring together. And here's what I want to do. I want you to get really familiar with this picture. Sinners, tax collectors, whatever the, the equivalent is, Pharisees and disciples. Because, my friends, if we're operating correctly, Shadow Community Church is going to look a whole lot like the party at Matthew's house. If we're operating correctly, Shadow Community Church is going to look a whole lot like the party at Matthew's house. And, my friends, I want to invite you this summer to throw your own party at Matthew's house, something that looks a little bit like this, to invite people together, and maybe in Jesus' name, but maybe they don't know that, in a way that brings people together like no one else can. Jesus calls Matthew. The first thing Matthew does is throw a party and invite his non-religious friends. Isn't that a great instinct? Isn't that a great instinct? The first thing for a new disciple to do, invite other people who aren't disciples yet, to come and meet Jesus. I was talking about this passage with a friend of mine who's a pastor over in Apex. Uh, his name is Chris, great guy. And Chris's line, Chris had this great line about this. He said, listen, disciples use their tables to point people to Jesus. That's what disciples do. Disciples use their tables to point people to Jesus. Disciples use their tables. Disciples use their homes. Disciples use their decks. Disciples use their grills. Disciples use their walks to point people to Jesus. 
when COVID shut everything down, uh, spring of 2020, my, my family and I, we just moved to a, a new neighborhood in Chatham County, and we'd only been there for like nine months or so. And we'd waved at a few people along the way, but we hadn't really connected with a whole lot of neighbors. But there's a couple families in our church who live in our neighborhood, the McCores who are here and the Kulikowskis, and they've been there for a long time. And, and uh, a number of them had spring birthdays. And so what started happening was this great tradition was they started throwing these cul-de-sac birthday parties for their kids in the cul-de-sac around a fire pit, kids' birthday cakes, occasional adult beverages as well, all hanging out together with all these neighbors uh, like, like several weekends in a row. And through their wonderful hospitality, their invitations, I got to meet all these neighbors. I maybe waved at them but never knew their names, never actually connected and it opened up conversations about faith and church and spirituality and all these great things. And I was so glad and so grateful to follow their lead as they were throwing sort of dinner at Matthew's house kinds of gatherings and parties right there in the cul-de-sac. And I got to jump in and be a part of it. Matthew, brand new follower of Jesus. He has this great instinct. All my, all my non-religious buddies, they need to meet this guy. So he throws a party because disciples use their tables to point people to Jesus. And here's what Jesus says, the surprising thing. Jesus looks at this crowd of people, these people who are not religious at all. He says, this is why I've come. This is why I've come. These people here, right here, are why I have come. My friends, if Jesus has come for these kinds of people, then we as Jesus followers have also been sent here for these kinds of people. That's why we are here too. My friends, if you're here this morning, either here in person or watching online, and you're not really a religious person, don't really like religious things. This isn't really how you roll. This is not where your, your comfort zone. Uh, maybe you know your life is not a particularly religious life or what you think a religious life should look like or could look like, but you're open, you're curious. My friends, here's the deal. This is Jesus' church. He came for people just like you. You're welcome here. This is your church. Thanks for being here. Now, the catch here, of course, is that everyone gets challenged by Jesus, right? Everyone's gonna get challenged and stretched by Jesus. He says to the tax collectors, the people who are far off, he says, these people are sick and they need, they need a doctor. And that's the, the tax collectors, that they, they do need some sort of spiritual, emotional, psychological community healing, right? That's happening. But there's also a word of correction to the Pharisees and the disciples all across the board. But the, the first question is this, how do a bunch of non-religious people end up in a room with the greatest religious figure in all of history? How do a bunch of non-religious people end up in a room with the greatest religious teacher in all of human history? Because Matthew invites them, that's why. Matthew invites his friends to come and see. Invitations, you, me, extending invitations to non-religious people. That's how non-religious people intersect with the wonderful good news of Jesus. And so, my friends, I think that might start with you putting something on the calendar this summer and saying, I'm going to invite my neighbors. Maybe I just barely know their names. Maybe I don't, don't even know their names. I'm just going to invite my neighbors to come, hang on my back deck, get to know them, ask for Jesus to be present, and just see what Jesus might do. Because what Jesus does is bring people together better than anyone else in history. What might it look like for you to use your table to point people to Jesus, your back deck to point people to Jesus, your cul-de-sac to point people to Jesus, your fire pit? to point people to Jesus. What might it look like for you to use whatever you got handy to invite people to come together and meet and know Jesus?
Now, if it was just a group of tax collectors and Jesus, it would be totally cool. Like, the party would be fine. Jesus is fine with these people. He's totally comfortable. The party gets more complicated because you have the objecting Pharisees, right? The Pharisees don't like this whole situation. Why does your teacher eat with these kinds of people, right? Pharisees, super religious, religious leaders, and they've got a really clear picture of who a teacher should or shouldn't eat with, among other things. Now, my friends, we still have Pharisees among us today, right? There's still Pharisees here. Pharisees look very religious, very godly on the outside, but their godliness has very little to do with actually their relationship with God. It has very much to do with them choosing a set of religious activities. I check all these boxes. You don't. Here's my measuring stick. I get to beat you up with my measuring stick, right? That's... So how Pharisees work. Pharisees look very righteous in a biblical way, but they're actually just very self-righteous. It's mostly about them, and mostly about them being able to beat other people up. Now, my friends, I want to have a moment with my very churched friends. And if you're not particularly churched, sit back, you're going to enjoy this. All of us who have spent a lot of time in church world, and I am one of you. Listen, like this is like my, my whole day job is church, right? All of us who have spent time in church world for a particularly long period of time, we all got a little Pharisee in us. We all got a little Pharisee in us that says, this is what religious people do or don't look like. This is how religious people do or don't vote. This is what religious services do or don't look like. Listen, the morality, ethics, community, this is, who, this is what religious people do or don't do or who they do or don't hang out with. Listen, all those things matter. They're super, super important. I'm not discounting any of those things, right? But all I'm saying is when we start to leverage those things to beat other people up, that's the Pharisee inside of you talking. You've lost the plot. You've forgotten the second most important command. Love your neighbor as yourself. My fellow Pharisees, do you know what I think Jesus would say to you and to me when that inner Pharisee starts to cry out about, that's not right, that's not right, that person's not right, that's not right. Do you know what I think the inner Pharisee, what Jesus would say to your inner Pharisee and my inner Pharisee? I think he would say the same thing he said to these Pharisees. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The sacrifices were in the Old Testament, right there in the Bible. Hundreds of verses about sacrifices. And you know what Jesus says? Blow those off if it's not helping you love your neighbor. If your religious practices are making you self-righteous and putting distance between you and your neighbor, your religious practices are actually hindering your fellowship with Jesus, not complimenting your fellowship with Jesus. Every commandment in the Bible serves love God, love neighbor. If we are wrenching commandments out of the Bible to make us more self-righteous and cutting us off from God and from loving our neighbor, then the ways that you're relating to the commandments in the Bible are wrong. We're not actually using them to make us into the kind of people, to shape our character and our hearts that look like God, the God who is love, who calls us to like him, love God, love our neighbor. And maybe, just maybe, for Pharisees like you and me, Maybe the first step for freedom from an inner Pharisee is going to be throw a party like the dinner at Matthew's house. Pray, see who Jesus brings, see what Jesus does, and maybe, just maybe, what the Lord might do as we host these parties with people that maybe we have previously judged or severely disagreed with, maybe, just maybe, what Jesus will do is soften your heart, soften their hearts, and maybe, just maybe, draw all of us further up and further in to following Jesus. Last group of folks at the dinner in Matthew's house, the disciples, right? Disciples of Jesus, they're not especially comfortable at Matthew's house. They don't like this party, this gathering. In fact, if you notice, the disciples, uh, the, the, the Pharisees talk to the disciples. You notice that? The, the, the Pharisees say to the disciples, why does your teacher talk to the, hang out with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees are targeting the disciples. And you know what the disciples' answer is? I don't know. 
The disciples have no idea why they're there. They're, they're completely befuddled and confused. They have no idea what Jesus is doing. So Jesus steps into the confused disciples and he, he says, Jesus hears this and says, hey, hey, I got this, guys. You're clueless. Here's why I'm here. Here's what I'm here to do. So how does a group of good Jewish boys go to synagogue, don't like tax collectors, do all the right things the best they possibly can, but they're a little rough around the edges, but they're, 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 as, they're as religious as they can be. They don't like Romans. They don't like these people. How do they end up in a room full of tax collectors and sinners? They're following Jesus. That's how they end up in a room full of tax collectors and sinners. It's an uncomfortable, strange dinner party. Pharisees don't like it. Disciples don't like it. Tax leaders don't like that. There's religious people all around them. The only one totally comfortable with all these people is Jesus because he brings people together like nobody else can bring people together. And where that often starts is across normal lines, right? Because here's the deal. All of us get on moving walkways in life. All of us get on moving walkways in life. And culturally, we get sort of shunted into these moving walkways where we're sort of on these divide lines. Here's who we hang out with. Here's our people, socioeconomically, racially, ethnically, right? We get in these moving walkways. And what Jesus does when the new king comes, when the new king is in town, when the new kingdom comes, he breaks down the moving walkway. He says there's one walkway under the name of Jesus. And what he does is break through dividing lines, socioeconomic, breaks through dividing lines, Ethnic, my friends, and in the wake of another shooting in Buffalo, right? Racially motivated shooting in Buffalo. We as Jesus followers cry out, come Lord Jesus and break down the strongholds in our nation. And not just in our nation, every nation for all time has always had dividing lines along ethnic and what we call racial division. This is not a uniquely American problem. We're not that special. Every nation Every culture for all time has had division along racial and ethnic lines. There's been hatred along these lines. And what Jesus has come to do is break down the walls of hostility, build a new kingdom. Because, my friends, at the foot of the cross, it's all equal, right? We all need grace. We all need forgiveness. We all need the hope of resurrection. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. This wonderful bad news that brings us all to the same spot of the cure that God gave us in Jesus Christ. And so we cry out to Jesus, would you deliver our nation from the demon of racism that has so undermined us from day one, caused so much misery, so much bloodshed, so much heartache from day one. We ask Lord Jesus to come and disarm that strong man to build a new kingdom, a new church, a new counterculture for the common good that demonstrates something like Dinner at Matthew's house. And after his death and resurrection, Jesus really wants his disciples to understand this, right? Jesus really wants his disciples to understand he's come for the sick, not the healthy, that he's come to sort of bring people together like no one else. And after the death and resurrection, here's what Jesus says to his disciples. You're gonna be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And they like those first two. They like Jerusalem and Judea. That's cool. It's very comfortable for them. And you know what? The Holy Spirit falls, and then the church explodes. And they're in Jerusalem and Judea hanging out. And it's hard to know exact timelines and acts because we don't get specifics. But it looks like it might have been several years they're hanging out in Jerusalem and Judea because it's very comfortable in Jerusalem and Judea. That's what they like. And it's a little bit strange because it's across like poor, rich and poor coming together, which is great. But they're pretty much homogenous ethnically. And they're not actually going to the Samaritans who they hate and the ends of the earth. They hate them even more. And you know what happens to get them finally moving out of Jerusalem after a couple years of the church exploding? You know what happens? Persecution happens. The stoning of Stephen happens. 
My friends, sometimes the only thing that will get us moving is pain. It's just true. If you get too comfortable, it's really hard to get moving. So the disciples scatter all across the Mediterranean. And it takes some time, but what starts to pop up are these little house churches. And you know what these little house churches look like? These little house churches look a whole lot like the party at Matthew's house. These little house churches look a whole lot like Jew, Gentile coming together, worshiping Jesus. Rich, poor, coming together, worshiping Jesus. People who wouldn't normally hang out together come together around Jesus. And there's all these tensions and there's all these conflicts and all these challenges. I mean, every letter of the New Testament is ironing out problems that come when you bring people together who don't always hang out. There's racial issues, there's, there's uh, ethnic issues, there's sort of religious practice issues. All these have to be worked out and ironed out. But my friends, as they eat and drink together, as they welcome new people in, lives are changed. People are intrigued and amazed. Some don't like it. But the church grows and grows and grows and grows as all these people who don't normally hang out together come together around the one magnificent name where it's finally safe and good to come around together, where we don't kill each other when we come together. His name is Jesus. And as that church grows and grows and grows over the last 2,000 years, it becomes the single most influential movement in all of human history. And today, Sunday morning, 2022, 2,000 years after Jesus' resurrection, almost every tribe, almost every language, almost every culture, every 30 minutes, a new language comes on. Every 30 minutes, a new culture, a new tribe, a new people group comes online. A relay of worship from sunup to sundown every Sunday. It's the most global event every single week gathered around the one magnificent name where it's safe good, life-giving, to bring people together because there's one person who brings people together like no one else in human history ever has. His name is Jesus. And he has come to disarm all the powers and principalities. He's come to break down walls of dividing line. He's come, truth, grace, mercy, love, real righteousness, real holiness, all coming together, his kingdom come, his will being done on earth as it is in heaven, gathering up every tribe, nation, and tongue together around the one magnificent name. My friends, what I'm calling us to do as a church, stepping into the summer, is to step into 2,000 years of Christians doing this crazy thing, bringing people together in Jesus' name, in our, in our own hearts, in our own, for, in our own understanding, bringing people together to gatherings that look a whole lot like the party at Matthew's house. And my friends, as we close the series, that's today's wildly important take home, and that's your assignment for the summer. I wanna invite you to reduce the tensions in the neighborhood by hosting a party at Matthew's house gathering of some, of some sort this summer. Again, the word party is used loosely in advisory. Whatever that looks like for you and your temperament, your personality, what would it look like for you to invite people who wouldn't otherwise be, come together except that the spirit of Christ is at work in you and you wanna be a reconciler. You wanna be people who... Brings people together. I want to, it's very simple. I want you to invite some, invite some friends. First off, I want to invite you to make a list. Who comes to mind right now? When you think about your neighbors, people in your neighborhood, maybe a coworker, maybe a colleague at work, maybe a fellow student or classmate. Who comes to mind? Who else comes to mind? Do those people like each other? Who cares? Do they know each other? Maybe not. Invite, make a list. Invite some friends. I want to, I want to you consider to, uh, inviting some disciples as well. Maybe you, want to, maybe you want to invite some disciples. Now, if you're in like a small group or a small cul-de-sac or a small department at work, maybe inviting someone from the outside would be a little bit weird or wouldn't quite work. That's totally fine. Maybe just, maybe just ask a fellow disciple to be praying with you, to be praying that Jesus shows up, right? You're, invite a disciple, someone else who's a Jesus follower, 
So we're praying that Jesus shows up to do something that only Jesus could do. And so that's, the thing, that's your last assignment. Invite Jesus to do what he does better than anyone else. Bring people together like no one else. Ultimately, to bring people to himself. Inviting Jesus to reduce the tension, and maybe in your own hearts, maybe that inner Pharisee in you, maybe inviting Jesus to bring people together, help disarm some of the tensions in the neighborhood, or maybe getting ahead of some of the tensions in the neighborhood, because maybe the thing that's going to resolve the tensions in the neighborhood in Chatham County, in North Carolina, in our world, is not different policies, not more debates, not more arguments online. Maybe the thing that's going to reduce the tensions in the neighborhood are more Jesus-style parties. And maybe the people that are going to be helping to bring Jesus-style parties are you and me, inviting people who otherwise maybe wouldn't be hanging out together, just like Jesus did, to ask him to reduce the tensions, build bridges, soften hearts, including our own, that Jesus' kingdom might come, his will might be done on earth, in our own lives, in our own backyards, at our, on our decks, around our dining room tables, as it is in heaven. Maybe, my friends, maybe that's what it looks like for you and me to love our neighbors as Jesus commanded us to do right here, right now, summer 2022. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for being the one who brings people together like no one else can. Thank you so much for being patient with us. Thank you so much for coming for tax collectors and sinners. Thank you so much for loving disciples and inviting us to be stretched and to grow. And Lord, thank you for loving even Pharisees. Lord, would, uh, would the inner Pharisee in those of us who are religious, would we be open to correction and softening and challenge? Would the hearts and lives of your people be ordered around your priorities? Would we love God and love our neighbors? And would all our religious practices serve those two commandments? Lord, we pray over the tensions in our neighborhoods. We, we name that those tensions are real, those differences are real but we also name that your kingdom is more real. Your love is greater. And so we look to you, Jesus, to be the one to bring people together. You do it better than anyone else. Would you give each of us courage and strength to invite friends, to invite people to come together? Lord, I pray for my friends here now who are disciples of yours, who earnestly wanna follow you, Lord. Would you give us names, faces, people that you want us to engage with this summer in a, more, in a deliberate, practical, specific way? Lord, I pray for my friends who are here for whom this is not comfortable for them. It's not native to them. Sort of religion and religious practice and you, Jesus, there's always questions, always doubts, whatever. Lord, so grateful that you came for people just like this. My prayer for each one of them is they might hear your voice, that you've come for them. Would our church reflect the party at Matthew's house? Would our homes this summer reflect the party at Matthew's house? And Jesus, would you be fully present here in our church community and in our homes to do what you do best and maybe what only you can do? to bring people together.